We're all on a path in the design system field and just making digital products as a profession of growing our practice and understanding how to do it better. And, and these trials and steps and evolutions of design systems are part of that. Welcome to the TriCatch Podcast. I'm Tamara Sutton. I'm a UX designer at Firm Credit Services of America, and I'm here today with Nathan Curtis. He's the owner of Eight Shapes, which is an agency that works for organizations to assess, plan, and create design systems. He's based in Washington, D.C. He has experience working with companies like Morningstar, Target, Google, Salesforce, and Huddle. He's been working with Farm Credit Services of America for the last eight weeks and has helped us work through the discovery and strategy of our own design system. Welcome, Nathan. I'm glad you were able to make it here while you're visiting Omaha. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to get started right away with our talk on design systems. How do you define what a design system is? Well, the design system is really a toolkit in many people's eyes that as you make all of these interfaces, all these digital products, you have a lot of small parts that everybody needs to use. And so as teams scale, uh, as companies start to create many of these products, uh, a design system serves the purpose of providing that visual style and all the small interface components so all those teams can be more efficient. They don't need to rebuild them all themselves across each team. And they can be more cohesive. They can create digital products that stick together and feel like they come from the same family. Okay. So how would you break down the different parts of a design system? Well, most design systems uh, offer what I, I would think of as features of visual style and UI components. Visual style is how uh, designers and developers apply things like color, typography, uh, space and iconography and a lot of other properties. And then all of the small parts they use to build an interface, buttons, headers, input fields, tabs, other kinds of navigation instruments, and so on. And so uh, an initial design system might start with 15, 20, 25 components. Really mature design systems can have upwards of 100 or more. And then design systems start to bridge out into other kinds of capabilities too. And so um, not every system has them, but uh, some have a, a much higher investment in uh, topics like content strategy, uh, the way you think about weaving content through products, accessibility, UX patterns, page templates, and a lot of other features they could have. But at their core, they're really uh, visual style, flowed through components, made available through the tools that designers and engineers use every day. How do you decide who's making these different parts of the design system? Well, they usually start pretty organically at a company. You know, the first phase is actually designers and developers, as they become more seasoned, more senior, they start to build their products modularly. They think about how to decompose problems and implicitly inside what they build, there is a system in the way that they do their work. And so a designer or a developer then starts to see, wow, I'm creating stuff that's systematic, that's reusable. I'm going to start to peel it out of the work that I'm doing so that I can reuse it elsewhere, that my teammates can reuse it too. And so that's really the first phase. Uh, but you're really not investing in a system at that point. It's just happening organically through the work. At that point, it could grow. And uh, a designer may start to partner with another designer on another team. Or two engineers start building things together that, that they separate out from their own products. And that becomes sanctioned by their manager, but it's not a formal program. And so I get involved with teams when they reach this third stage where they're, they recognize we've got 20 products or 50 products or over 100 products. We need a team that's going to support this, that's going to build this at scale, that's going to build this at a much more robust quality. 
So they create a team and that team might start with four or five people, but ends up feeling like a product squad. You have a number of developers, you have one or two designers, and eventually you start to realize we need a project manager, we need a product owner, we need all of these other disciplines because the system itself serves to be a product that other teams use. That's where a lot of companies finish, uh, frankly, uh, and I help those teams mature their operational practices. But the big companies, the companies that have systems that everybody in our field is familiar with, Google's Material, Salesforce, Lightning Design System, others like those, they have teams of teams. They have multiple different groups of people that are working on it and creating relationships across the org to manifest this very clear, powerful thing that's helping them build digital products. And so that, that investment becomes quite significant. So you talked about when companies end up with multiple products, you know, 30 to 40 products that they're supporting or groups like Google having material design. How do you know when your organization is ready for its own design system? Is that number of products? Is that maturity in your development teams? How do you know when it's time to create your own design system versus using one that's readily available? Well, there's a, it's really tough sometimes to gauge that because like I said, look at a single team making a product. They may be designing and coding things systematically. Implicitly, they have their own little system and their collaboration is very fluid and organic across the members of the team. They don't need to document anything. Uh, design systems as a, an actual entity in an org uh, really coincides often with the operational capabilities that you're looking at across many different products. Uh, it might be as few as, you know, five to eight teams. You start to centralize the creation of the system operationally into a subgroup of people that are allocated. Um, I see design system full squads end up supporting 25 to 50 products, if not 100 products. Uh, and that's when you really start to significantly invest in that being an entity that has a whole squad behind it, like a really mature, complete squad. What are some of the common misconceptions of a design system? Oh, there's a ton. Um, some that come to mind are the thought that, wow, we're making components systematically. And so all of our digital products are made up of all sorts of components. So guess what? We now have a system to put them all in that place. And the answer is no, that is not what you do. Uh, the system is a, meant to be a place that you include things that are shared across all of those teams. And you omit, you restrict teams that have specific needs that are one-offs for what they build or all the custom stuff that they need to make their product unique, that does not go in the system. And so, for example, you might see 40 components in a system, even though a particular product would use 20 of those components and then need to make about 40 components on themselves to finish off what their product is. And so you don't want to complicate the system with a lot of things that matter only to one or two teams. Another one is that the system is often associated with standards. You need to make decisions around what are the colors we use? How do we use those colors? How are we going to use buttons and all these other pieces? And so it's congruent with the establishment of a standards process, a governance process. But governance really turns people off. And uh, from a design system perspective, the teams I work with have had more success when they take the, the point of view of, we are a product that other teams need to consume and choose to use. Essentially, the design system is there to equip those other teams with the pieces they need to make their own experiences and also has to trust that those teams making those experiences are going to 
need to extend the tools that you have. At times, need to override the tools that you have in order to solve the problems that they, they want to do. And so I tend to favor the concept of community and natural collaboration across different product groups rather than f- the firm hand of governance to control and constrain those teams from doing things. Uh, and the maturation that I see is that, that, that that's a comfort level that you get to that this, I don't see a lot of system teams investing in significant auditing and significant uh, reviews and, and taking a task, all these different teams that make all these mistakes. That is not the role they take. That's not the, the sort of position that they're in. And it seems like even we have um, 14 development teams here, and I don't know how often that a team creates a component that gets reused by another team, or it might get picked up and then modified and then not shared back out. Does a design system help in that sense at all? I think it does. It provides a platform, uh, essentially a place to put things that are ultimately going to be reusable. And so you'll see some design systems just as much for designers, frankly, and the tools they use. Uh, uh, but more so for developers to have experimental things, to have things that aren't considered part of the quote unquote core 25 components, but still uh, sort of an extended place that might be in the same repository for that 47th component that these three product teams are starting to work on. Date picker is a great example. It's really hard to make a date picker uh, that works for everybody, that has the features that everybody needs working in the way that they need it to work. But that doesn't mean that a system can't provide an experimental fenced off place for that kind of work to happen. And then it needs to get uh, essentially lifted in its quality and its uh, flexibility to address the needs of everybody and ultimately graduate into that core that everybody shares and trusts is built at, you know, to be really strong and relevant to everybody. When I think about how you decide what goes into the design system, while you were working with us on our strategy we did a few things. We did interviews with teammates, did an audit of our current system, product tours to understand what kind of components were being used and how they were used in different patterns. Are there other ways that you decide what's going to go into your system and how, how do you prioritize those? Well, when we start a system, frankly, we've built enough of them to know every system is going to have a button. Every system is going to have a collection of form controls, your inputs and your checkboxes and your radio buttons. Almost all systems have tabs. Uh, so there's a concrete set of among the first 20 to 25 components you build. I already know what 15 to 18 of them are going to be. But then it becomes a more interesting question of the criteria that you use to identify, well, the 27th component, is it going to be relevant to a lot of teams? How many teams does it need to be relevant to in order for it to go in the system? One, not good enough. Two or three, eh, let's have a conversation. Relevant to five teams? All right, let's start to groom that to promote it into the system. And so relevance is one. Another one is consistent with the kinds of components or the arc of components that you're building. And so if your system has a tooltip, for example, and a tooltip is this little layered component that when you hover something, it's going to pop a tooltip that has a label. It has maybe rounded corners and a little shadow behind it and a notch that points at what you just hovered. Well, all of those different properties are consistent with a popover. Think of it as a bigger tooltip with a generic container that you can maybe put an image in too. And then that's consistent with a menu that when you click on something, it has a notched sort of layered area that has a list of options in it. 
And maybe that menu then has hierarchy that you click on one thing and out overslides another list for you to select from a sublist of items. And so I'm describing this compositional sort of trajectory that the component development can be on. And it all started actually with tooltip because you need to understand where can you put a notch? How does that layered thing become sensitive to the edge of a viewport? Like if you're, and is it going to position itself in another place? All those mechanics start with tooltip, but then get you to a place where you, you build, a, build a menu. And so that's another kind of criteria that you think about. Is this going to get us towards somewhere else? Finally, is it something that we have the capability to do really well? Motion is a really popular thing. Uh, it's something that everybody really values, but not many people have confidence in how to express motion systematically or, or how to overlay that onto a product. And so that becomes a question of, do we have the capability to offer that kind of attribute through our system or capability through our system? And if you don't, maybe you pause until you do. What about some pieces that I think of being more advanced in a design system? So I'm going to call it a template. It might also be called a design pattern. But I think about sections of code that would be reused or, or pages that might be reused. So a login that has the layout and you have the formatting of a label text box, the buttons, maybe links, error messages, would that be considered a template or a UX pattern? That's a a tough thing because different people use different terms. You might uh, see different organizations use layouts, page types, page templates. Um, All those refer to a composition of commonly used components all composed together to solve a problem. Authentication is a a really nice example. Another might be a filtered list of cards or objects on a page that has a filtering mechanism on one side or the other. And so those are all things that involve a lot of components. Uh, They involve judgment for the particular team that's adopting that pattern. And they have a lot of principles around how you make decisions on what to include and how to include it. And so with that complexity, it makes it really hard to build it to work for everybody. And really what you start to do there is develop guidelines and, and descriptive material that exhibit how you can do it and then leave the actual building to the team that, that needs to build that filtered list or that okay. authentication screen. That's different from pre-built things you use out of the box that already have all the code necessary, that it's a solved problem. And so when we use the term UI component, uh, like a button, or even a card that has a button and icons and an image and other thing, other components inside it, it's still pre-built. It's still use it off the shelf. There's really no judgment involved. That thing at that level of composition is already solved. And so when you talk about components versus patterns, the, I really appreciate that you started the conversation with, is it built or not? Because patterns typically aren't built. They're, they involve a lot of judgment of how you build it. So that would be something you would provide guidance to on your design system website. Yeah. Design systems often have both UI components, the pre-built things that, ha- that are a rectangle you put on a page and uh, have all the features it needs, and UX patterns as another section of the site. The thing about patterns is it requires people to read. <laughs> It requires people to make judgments, and it requires them to do a lot more of the work. And so that's why you see teams necessarily creating both, but the use of components is far greater than the use of patterns. But now that we've discussed what a design system is, how you might start to create one, and the different parts and pieces that go into it, 
what sort of advice do you have for the adoption of a design system in an organization with multiple teams or squads? There's a few different things. The first I think about is those are your customers. All those teams that are making digital products are those that are going to use your system. So how do you understand what their needs are? How do you understand where each of them is on their uh, roadmap or timeline? Are they a new budding greenfield project? Or are they established? Or are they even transitioning into being a legacy main- maintenance mode kind of product? And so the system's going to play a different role for each of those kinds of products. And you need to understand what the portfolio is. What's that list of 50 products? Where are each of them in their life cycle? And, and how will the system play a role for them in the next year or two? Uh, that also gives you the opportunity to identify those that can use your stuff immediately. Who are your early adopters or oftentimes pilots that you put on white gloves and you develop really good relationships w- with to serve them as your system's getting off the ground. And so those pilots really also provide you the opportunity for you to test how your stuff works, how it integrates, how they onboard and getting started material is really important for them. So a developer can take all of your code packages and in five minutes, install them all, feel confident, put a component on their page, it works, and they're off to the races and they trust the system. You need to usability test that. That's something you iterate on because um, I'll tell an example from Morningstar. We uh, launched the system uh, to big fanfare. We'd done some pilots, but within a week, seven other adopting teams said, why'd you hard code the font path? We want to put our fonts in somewhere else. And we said, oops, that's a mistake. We probably should have ironed that out. We issued a patch. Everything was fine. But even that little hiccup caused people to raise an eyebrow and, uh, or, and be a little more skeptical around the pursuit of the system because we weren't solving problems that were making their life easier. We were making their lives harder. And so how can you put yourself in that service mindset to serve them and involve them as you start to grow the practice? I'm assuming that with that adoption comes an area for feedback or contributions from users of your system. I think that, yeah, and those are two different dimensions that I look at separately. The first is support. You have technical support incidents where they find a defect. It doesn't work in IE 11. Are we still supporting IE 11? And so how do we fix the problem, reissue the system uh, as a patch and so on, or just give them paths to get help? So whether it's uh, a tool like Slack where you're having open conversations to, to assist them and putting their pieces together. Or if it's an action, some teams have deliberate like actual tech support ticketing systems for incident management because of the scale of, of how many people use their system. So that's support. Contributions is a, a different thing. Instead of people using the system, taking your stuff and doing their work, they want to take their work and put it back into the system because it has value for other folks. And so you develop communities of design and development. Oftentimes in design, there, it might be a culture of critique where different designers are sharing their work and identifying things that are justifiably in the system. And in the development side, it takes the form of front-end guilds or other programs where developers are sharing across uh, practices uh, across their different teams. And so the design system injects themselves in there and provides a pathway to contribution. Uh, but it's hard. Uh, as much as a lot of design system professionals and leaders look to create a system for the people, by the people, and of the people, because design systems are largely made of people, in effect, um, a lot of the productivity happens from the central team. And so um, part of it is it, it, you don't get the contributions you expect 
because you are producing it centrally, but you still have to be open to that and have a, uh, processes that permit that and encourage that. Um, and so the last dimension that I would think about is what kind of contributions should you expect, particularly on the code side. Um, you're much more likely if you have an open system for people to contribute to, to get defects fixed, small little features, tiny enhancements or extensions. You'll more occasionally get more chunky enhancements to the components that you have, but you'll rarely get a full-fledged new component from an outside source, from a contributor, because you have to have a full design. You have to have full code. You have to have full documentation. Effectively, contributing a component crosses disciplinary lines requires a lot more coordination it requires those folks making that to check all the boxes you have to check too and those are a lot of boxes to check so what percentage of design systems that you've worked with organizations on actually have some contribution model put in place with their design system they all have models very few of them have robust workflows that work smoothly okay um you, you can talk to some of the best design systems out there in the industry and they'll be like, yeah, contributions. Uh, we have a front door for those. We have a set of steps that helps people understand. But um, I was talking to someone from gov.uk. Uh, that's the UK government's way of providing services. And they have a design system team that supports a lot of them. And I really appreciated how they characterized uh, we need to just get them in the door uh, and have the conversation so that if you have some material for contributions, uh, it's really instead, let's, let's trigger a conversation. Let's talk to that developer or designer and let's start to teach them how it works and then understand from them what they're able to give. And so that ends up being more natural rather than this robust workflow that feels more automated and, and less personal. Okay. So what I'm hearing from that with, a system that we're going to be putting into place, we would most likely be working on guidance and support. Contributions would come as our design system matures if we're seeing a lot of input from our development teams of wanting to contribute back to that system. Yeah, and their contribution from their mindset might be, I need to be in some critique so I can see the model and technical architecture of the system and provide feedback. To them, that's a contribution. Right. It's not sort of this tangible artifact-based contribution, but it's nonetheless something they're influencing. But over time, it's like with open source projects. You need a central core group of maintainers to establish how it works, establish the architecture of all the things. And then gradually over time, it's not like the doors are closed, but people start walking through the doors to participate more and more. Um, and I would exp that often happens after a first major release. Okay. What are some of the pitfalls that you see of a design system? Hmm, pitfalls. I really struggle with organizations that still feel like a design system is something that can grow organically, you get for free, you just get a bunch of people talking and magically, boom, a design system happens. No, it's code and design and it's a bunch of decisions and it's a process and a workflow. You know what? That requires people's time. And so there is amid teams growing into their design systems, a lack of appreciation or perhaps just a cautious uh, a, um, point of view on how many people should be participating in this and how much time should they each be dedicating to this. And uh, the picture I paint is one where if your design system is going to be a viable part of your product development process and, and a core part of your operations, you're going to need people. You're going to need a team. And so it's not a question of if 
people need to dedicate capacity. It's a question of how much and how formally they work together. And, and part of my, my uh, mantra is it's a product serving product and that should frame in their minds, how do we make products uh, and, and do it that way. A second pitfall that comes to mind is that a design system is something you finish. It gets done. Uh, and you have this project mindset, you reach the end of your big launch, you have your 25 components and your beautiful documentation site, and you put it on a table and you say, hey, everybody, look at this, you can all use this stuff. Let's start working on something else now. Because the moment you start to do that, it starts to rot, it starts to age, it's, you don't really have the support and management and development commitment to continue it on to sustain it. And so while you're dipping your foot in the pool with that first release and, and hoping for the best, you should expect that if it's going to be successful, you're probably going to increase your investment, not keep it the same or, gosh, reduce it or stop investing in it. Um, it's going to continue to grow and then maybe reach some sort of peak, and that's fine. But you definitely don't want to turn the, the faucet off of the capacity you're investing in it after you get out of the first release cycle. Absolutely. Um, just for our listeners' background, this is our second pass at a design system. So we had a first pass where we had a small group of individuals, so two developers, two designers working on it on the side. And we're in our thought processes, let's, let's do a first pass at this. Let's put out eight components with some documentation and visual design um, guidance. And we fell into both those pitfalls, right? We didn't have a dedicated team after that first release. You know, it, it didn't take long for our first design system, the component library to need updates. And then as soon as dev teams were trying to utilize that design system, they were running into problems. Yeah, the teams will look at design systems and see those tangible hard outputs. I'd call them the hard assets of the system, a sketch library or a Figma library for designers and the code libraries for developers and the documentation site that describes them both. But they don't realize that the design system is just as much soft assets of people, all the people that are part of a core team, as well as the community of contribution. It's a lot of the products that you're trying to support and sort of the connectivity across all of those to understand how the system fits and getting it in, fitting it in. And then the processes that you run, the workflows of not just developing features, but communicating updates and uh, planning releases and and all of the other things that you do to to sustain a program over time. And that that requires an investment of time. Gosh, I spend more time than I expect prepping for demos that might happen every two weeks and and writing the email communication that summarizes the latest release. It, there, that requires work beyond just, hey, did we test our button to make sure it worked in all these environments, which you also have to do. Absolutely. I know there are a lot of topics that we could go more in depth on. What's the question I forgot to ask? I think a question that teams need to ask themselves is what does success look like? And what will we be happy with uh, as we think about the objectives we pursue? And those objectives commonly have some sort of time frame to them, six months or 12 months or what have you. Uh, if you're setting objectives, that's awesome. And if you're giving yourself the space to uh, change or partially meet some of those objectives, like we want to build a library of 25 pieces. Well, you built one with 18. That still has value when you connect your uh, all of your developers together to pursue something like this. And and feeling like and making sure that you can can identify the change you want to create 
and and feel good about how far you got there is something that I don't think a lot of design systems give themselves credit for. You talked about the first design system trial that you had. Uh, there are two developers that did a great job. They set something up, and for two months, they, they really cranked away, and it was used by four products. And so when you... Other people like they they take the mentality of well that kind of withered or whatever yeah maybe it could have uh, been supported more it still created value and uh, there's a lot of learning that goes into that mm-hmm. there's a lot of value that you did create that you may not have even been measuring yeah that first experiment for us really is probably what set us up to to try again right exactly like how do we adjust add a little bit more commitment to it with our team and setting out a, a longer term plan which is where you came in and really helped in getting the framework set up and the foundation set up that we can move forward on. Um, We're all on a path in the design system field and just making digital products as a profession of growing our practice and understanding how to do it better. And, And these trials and steps and evolutions of design systems are part of that. Well, Nathan, I feel like I could talk to you all day about design systems, and I'm sure that you could just continue to inform us all day long as well. I appreciate your flexibility in coming in and sitting behind the mic and talking design systems with me. Thanks for having me.